What is good, Defenders of the Bank? Welcome to episode 67 here of our LAFC podcast, the podcast for the people, Defenders of the Bank, sitting to my left, Christian Philly Philemon. For the 67th time this season, and unfortunately in terms of game action, the last time for this season. Yeah, we've obviously got a lot to talk about. I am the Scarf, J.R. Liebert, and this is episode 67, like we said, and we are calling it Yellow and green make LAFC blue. That's right. It was not just LAFC against the Sounders today who played a very solid, very physical game. We did not get any help from that team in yellow from Pro. That did not go well for LAFC. So much to talk about here. We are recording just before midnight on October 29th. Just a couple of hours before we celebrate the anniversary of maybe the most important day in LAFC history. I know we're not doing a This Day in LAFC History segment for this one, but on October 30th, 2014, that was the day that LAFC was awarded a franchise. And all of this incredible journey to get to where we got to tonight began amazingly five years ago in a couple of about 10 minutes or so, five years ago, we were awarded a franchise. And one way that I find a little bit of solace in what happened tonight in the awful, awful result, the 3-1 loss to Seattle, is that look at how far that we have come in such a short amount of time. We didn't have a stadium. We didn't have anybody on the roster just five years ago. And here we are now hoping to be one of the black and gold standard teams in Major League Soccer. Coming into this show, we didn't really know how we would do it. We don't really know how we're going to do it. We have some notes, whether we stay on pace, on track, on script. I don't know. I didn't even know personally if I really wanted to record the show. But you all have been so supportive of us and our show, and Scarf and I really, really appreciate it. So we only felt that it was right to have this episode released for all of you on your Wednesday commute. It sounds really weird. We had a Tuesday game, and now we're like preparing for Ugh, a Wednesday commute. But yeah. Look, we're, we're gutted, and we're not going to preach to you. We're not going to tell you how you should feel. You all have the right to feel however you want to feel. But as Scarf mentioned earlier... We do have a very young club. I mean, he mentioned briefly his This Day in LAFC history bit, and in a very short period of time, we have gone from nothing into something. I mean, we were just one game away from the MLS Cup Final. One game. A second win away from actually holding the title in our hands. But you can't look at this season as if it's a loss or a wash. Because there's a lot of things that happen positively, and we're going to get into that. We are your glass hat full podcast. We don't talk negatively about the club. We don't talk negatively about our manager. We don't talk negatively about our players. But I'd be remiss if I said that this didn't hurt. I don't know if it was the loss so much as just watching the Sounders celebrate on our field with confetti going in the air and fireworks being displayed in front of us, in front of our crew, in our house. That, to me, was the most gut-wrenching aspect of the evening. Yeah, we lost 3-1. to one. Yeah, the refs were abysmal. And we're going to talk about that. Oh, yeah. But there was nothing more painful than seeing those boys jump up and down, celebrating 
on our pitch. And that really hurt me. Look, one of the things that you hear over and over and over again from people about how to be appreciative and everything is without the valleys, you don't really get to really appreciate the peaks. Well, unfortunately for us in this season, they actually came in reverse. And I think because of the incredibly high peak that we felt after that last win, obviously the win over Carson, the incredible way in which our offense showed up and showed out everything that we did that brought us to that point in time against Carson at the bank, how great we were feeling, the celebration that honestly carried over into even about 17 minutes into this game, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. That's why I think this one hurts so much. That's why I think this one stings the way it does. And personally, for somebody who's born and raised here in Los Angeles, I am an Angelino through and through. I have never felt like a team, like a club, like 22,000 people so accurately and wholeheartedly represented the city in which I was born and have grown up in than this team of black and gold. And and there's no easy way to sugarcoat it. This one absolutely hurts. Scarf said he's an Angelino through and through. For all of you who listen to the show, you guys know that I'm not. This is your boy Philly, who doesn't happen to be from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philly comes from a small town in New York called Queens. I'm a New Yorker who grew up a avid Mets, Jets, Knicks, and Islanders fan. Oof. Panda and I, my wife, have only been in this town for about four years. Come January, it's been four years. And I too, we too, have never felt so close to a club, so close to a team as we do with LAFC. They really were our entry point in so much as far as this town is concerned. We built a social circle around this club. We built a family around this club. We've had so many happy memories and honestly some sad ones too with this club. And I'll say this repeatedly over the course of this recording is that in our pain, we find our faith. Military people, and if you're all out there, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but you are all so close. There's a brotherhood that forms within the military ranks. Why? Because you're in the trenches together. You go to war together. You know, you see the good times and you see the bad times. And that's really what solidifies a bond. Had we been riding a, not necessarily a roller coaster, but basically a, a, a to the top type of a spectrum... And we won everything and we've been undefeated for two years. Yeah, it would have been the greatest thing ever. We would have felt so dominant. But would all the supporters and all the fans truly be that much in love with the club? Maybe. Maybe not. In our pain, we find our faith. And through tough times is where we really stand together. That's where we really solidify our bonds and our brotherhood and our friendships. And I mentioned this on several podcasts. But that to me is something that I value tremendously as far as this club is concerned. And yes, while I am not an Angelino, I'll jokingly say that I paid enough taxes in the last four years to consider myself an Angelino. But <laughs> LAFC is the closest thing I have to is a passion for LA. And as much as I've spent my time in New York, LA is my home and LA is the city that I love and the place that I will call home until I'm ready to retire. And even then maybe I'll still call it home. Yeah. We're going to go into the game recap and 
you know, Philly, to be honest, we were looking at our starting lineup and a couple of changes there on the back line. I really liked who LAFC trotted out on the back line with Jordan Harvey, Tristan Blackman, Walker Zimmerman, and Eddie Segura. Congratulations to Walker Zimmerman for his MLS Best 11 nod that he received for the first time in his career. In goal, Tyler Miller. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about Tyler and his performance today a little bit later on. In the midfield, Latif Blessing, Edward Atuesta, and Lee Wynn. Again, congratulations to Edward Atuesta well for his best 11 nod that he received. And, of course, up front we had Raito, we had Carlos Vela, and we had Diego Rossi. And the no-brainer of the year award goes to Carlos Vela making the best 11 as well. We were the only team to have three players on the best 11 Atlanta with two, Minnesota with two, and a couple of other teams with one, including, of course, our friend from down the way in Carson, who appears to be making some sort of overtures to something happening in Spain on social media. But I don't really care about him anymore, so let's move on from that. You know, in the 18, we had Mark Anthony Kay and Adama Diamande, who would certainly factor into this game it was a lineup that we were really comfortable with, a lineup that we have scored many, many goals. We've had a ton of wins and a ton of points. And something that I really felt was going to be our strong suit, Philly, is a lot of the experience that we had out there. But one of the things that you and I talked about, Philly, before the podcast is something that we didn't experience in any of the other four matchups with Seattle was their very true number nine Raul Ruiz Diaz from Peru, this kid as good as it gets in MLS in terms of putting the ball into the back of the net. To me, they really only have two or three special players on that roster. We know about Jordan Morris from his U.S. men's national team days and what we saw him do with his hat trick in their last playoff game and the continually underrated but incredibly performing Nico Lodiero. And then, of course, Raul Ruiz Diaz, to me, that's the game for Seattle. Those three attackers up front, I didn't think that any one particular player on the back line for Seattle did anything special. I didn't think that we forced Stefan Fry to do anything special at all. And it was that offensive attack when they found just the smallest hole, they were able to put it past us. We mentioned in our last show that the LA Galaxy's back line was that of Swiss cheese, meaning that it had a boatload of holes in it. This Seattle Sounders backline didn't have that many holes in it. In fact, they had found such a good way of plugging every single hole, parking buses, doing so many things to clog all of our attacking lanes. They, they were prepared, and you said it earlier, this wasn't a Seattle team that we had faced. And here's the irony of it. We go into this matchup beating a team that we haven't beaten in our history, only to lose to a team that's never beaten us in our history. I mean, I don't want to call it poetic justice because I don't see any justice as far as this is concerned. This was heartbreaking. But we really did face the Seattle team that was meant to be out there. And you said it. Stephen Fry was there. At number 25, Xavier Arriga was out there. Kim Kehe, Brad Smith, Kevin Leardom, Ladero, who was a monster, Christian Roldan, Gustav Svensson, Raul Rui Diaz, him along with the pro referees were the ones who really ended our season. Jordan Morrison Jones... That was the lineup. Roman Torres obviously being a dangerous individual sitting on the bench. But, you know, that was the lineup that we faced as far as this game is concerned. And 
This was really was the lineup that we probably should have seen earlier in the season. We came into this game, I don't want to say as supporters and as fans and as, as a team that we came in overconfident. We really got a massive, I don't want to call him 800 pounds, but a 1,600 pound gorilla off our back. Beating Carson and slaying the lion and his cubs was a big deal. But did that take that much out of us? Did it really knock Latif out of his uh, Energizer Bunny status? Yeah, clearly the game against Carson took a lot out of us. Seattle, and we're going to talk about this in a second, employed a very, very physical brand of football coming into this game and having a conversation with the Sounders fans that were sitting in our section. By the way, shame on you, Founders Club people, for selling your seats to Sounders Club fans. Regardless, (laughs) we, uh, you know, whatever. But they were saying that it was amazing watching Seattle play this way because so many teams had come into the clink throughout the course of the year, beating the heck out of the Sounders physically. And they did that to us. And they repeatedly did that to us. And because the refs weren't doing a damn thing to help our cause, they continued to do that to us. Look, I thought it was a brilliant game plan by Seattle in that what they did was they put the game in the hands of the referees and just kept, like you said being more and more physical and asking anybody in yellow, all right, if you're going to call it, you're going to call it. But until you do, we're going to play a certain way. And that all started in the 10th minute, a very hard shoulder tackle on Carlos Velo at no call. But unfortunately, by the way, the very next contact we make on anybody wearing rave green was called for a foul. And that was the first time, the first time of many times in my notes that I wrote the three-word phrase that would come to really sum up a lot of the way I feel about this game. WTF? No, that three-word phrase was Boo Yellow Team. That's right. Boo Yellow Team. I think you're being far too nice in that statement. Uh, We really know what you wanted to say. Yeah, but you know what? We keep it classy here at Defenders of the Bank. Family-friendly. It is a family-friendly podcast. Although I don't think people would be mad at us if we decided to like it. No, but you know what? We know a lot of kids listen to us, and that's why we do what we do. In the 13th minute, we had Brian Rodriguez clearly tripped, but only a foul called there when I thought it was a blatant yellow card, an easy trip from behind that should have been called. And, and, you know, it was really frustrating. But even so, I felt like after we weathered the storm for the first 20 minutes or so, and I I forget who it was. You know, there was a, a little girl, actually, as we were walking in, a little girl and her dad, And what she was telling her dad, the girls who came in, the family, excuse me, that came in right behind us in Founders, she said, Dad, if we can just weather the first 20 minutes, we'll be okay. That was a little prophetic statement there by a girl who must not have been older than maybe 11 or 12 years old. Well, weather the first 20 minutes we did. In fact, 17 minutes in, Edward Atuesta on a free kick. Philly, we have seen this a couple of times now this season where he lines up and takes one and does everything right with a ball. What an incredible shot. We are on the board one nothing, and the 32-52 were incredible after that goal by Edward Atuesta. Without a doubt, and let's talk about how that was set up. Vela, making a FIFA-esque move, got fouled in the 16th minute, which is what led to Edward Atuesta's free kick. And like he did against the Houston Dynamo, he punches one in in the back of the net. If you remember last season, Laurent Simon was the guy who we really wanted to see hitting those free kicks. And this season, 
It clearly was Edward Atuesta. He was one of our best players all season. I mean, what a tremendous turnaround he had this year as compared to last season. Most improved player by far, him along with Mark Anthony Kay. I mean, it was such a joy watching him. I mean, in terms of passing, his proficiency was arguably among the best as far as the midfielders were concerned in this entire league. And... It would amaze me if we get got to hold on to this kid for another year or two. He had to have caught the eyes of some scouts in Europe or South America or anywhere else. He had a phenomenal year. And granted, he was awarded with being one of the 11 best players in the MLS this season. Oddly enough, he wasn't voted into the All-Star game, which is <laughs> what makes me want to scratch my head. But what a goal. And we really thought we were going to be on a roll for the first 16, 17 minutes of the game. It was up and down. LAFC were pressing. Seattle was physical. But we scored. And when we score at the bank early, we rarely ever lose. Yeah, Philly, we almost got one in the 20th as well. A great ball into the box by Brian Rodriguez, forcing Stefan Fry to make one of only a couple of really difficult saves. A hard shot by Brian Rodriguez from that left-hand side. Comes all the way back out to Latif Blessing, where Gustav Svensson has to head it over the bar. Unfortunately, the corner kick didn't lead to a whole lot. But another great opportunity, and there we are in the first 20 minutes of the game, really pressing on offense. And one thing that really impressed me about that play was like, Raito had come in, you know, fairly aggressive, but playing a very finesse brand of football as far as my eyes were concerned. I mean, I could be wrong, but I loved how he came into the game and muscled his way into the box. He knocked over Leardom. On his way to taking a shot at Fry, and yes, Fry made that block. Blessing had the shot and it was deflected. But to see aggression, I would rather see aggression come out of our players rather than finesse. And granted, Raito didn't have the easiest of transitions going from Peñarol to LAFC. But I have no doubts in my mind. Scarf has no doubts in his mind. Schmitty McMittens, who's just outside this door, has no doubts in his mind that the connection that him and Vela are going to have next season is going to provide some beautiful, beautiful offensive explosions with some very Harlem Globetrotter-esque style passings. One thing I do want to mention, which I have to say is so, so freaking funny to me. It's happened at least that half dozen, if not a dozen times. We sit up in Founders Club. We've said that plenty of times. It's me, Scarf, Panda, Scarfette. It never ceases to amaze me how every time when Panda goes to the bar or to the bathroom, LAFC scores. Last game against the Galaxy, I told her that if she gets up and goes and, the, and LAFC scores, she's not allowed back for the duration of the game. <laughs> Man, what a bad husband I was. But at the same time, that was the case. She went away and they scored and they repeatedly scored. And the funny part is, after Atuesta scored, Panda came running down from the bar. She was hanging out with Chuck and all of our friends in the, in the Founders Club. And she yells, you're welcome. And I thought to myself, I love my wife, but is she really the linchpin in this entire endeavor? Is it true that if she hangs out at the bar, a club scores? I don't know, but she proved that again. She did. Unfortunately, that trio that we were talking about in the opening, Jordan Morris, Nico Logero, and Raul Rui Diaz, well, that was, the, animals. that was the order of succession in the 22nd minute. Jordan Morris with a great ball into the middle to Nico, and Nico gets it to Raul Rui Diaz, who dribbles around Eddie Segura for a beautiful shot and a beautiful goal. 
Look, this kid can score. Raul Ruiz Diaz is Fifth special. goal in five playoff appearances. Yeah, he would be heard from a little bit later on as well. But we're talking about a kid from Peru. You know, you wonder how and why Peru was able to hold their own and beat Brazil earlier this season in a game that really mattered. I mean, we're talking about Peru-Brazil, a game that would normally be David versus Goliath. But players like Raul Ruiz Diaz have Peru headed in the right direction this kid, as special as it gets, I believe, in Major League Soccer. And again, one of the more underrated players, Nico Lodero, left alone in the middle after my notes from the 26th minute when talking about this goal as we go down 2-1. A soft pass from Joven Jones. A soft shot by Nico Lodero. And for some reason, left alone in the middle. No urgency to close out by our back line and Tyler couldn't get to his left to get to this ball looked like a ball that he probably should have saved just like that we're down to one of the Sounders and you really felt everything tighten up at Bank of California Stadium I said in my notes I said we're down at home with 60 minutes or so left Sounders have looked better and more physical and they're playing almost five or six back including by the way Jordan Morris racing back to help defend on almost every single play from there on out. They were physical. They were brutal. Granted, the 2-1 scoreline, even though it occurred in the 26th minute, was really the only offense that we saw as far as the first half was concerned. Our forwards were being swarmed by that Seattle back line, and they were brutal. There were so many instances where we witnessed our boys Carlos Vela being the particular victim of it, getting knocked around, beaten up. There were a couple handballs that went completely unmissed, and you're thinking to yourself, ref, what the heck is going on? How are you missing this? This game is being brutal. I love a game that's not being called tiki-tack, but there was so much brutality going on in this game, it was completely going missed. The handballs that we saw, even on the replay, if that bonehead ref would have looked at the screen, he would have realized he biffed a call. And you know what? You thought he might have like made up for it, would have been more cognizant of it. No, they continued to miss calls. And as far as our players getting beat up is concerned, poor little Latif. Poor little Latif clearly was gassed. He got beaten up. 44th minute, Latif goes out of the game. Mark Anthony K comes in, and yes, that was a welcome addition to our lineup. It was his first entry into the black and gold lineup since he sustained that hamstring injury in the United States men's national team game against Canada. You think to yourself, we've been getting beaten up a lot. There's a couple players that we have on our roster. They don't stand for that kind of nonsense. One is clearly Mark Anthony Kay. The other one, our wrecking ball. The man who scored a brace in the game against the Galaxy, Adama Diamande. You would have figured that he would have been out there within the second half to go out there and, and kick some booty. First half ends. We're down 2-1. to one. But yeah, our boys are getting beaten up. And that wasn't the last thing that happened. We mentioned they were getting beaten up. We mentioned the missed handballs. But the one scenario where we were banging our heads, screaming bloody murder, happened towards the end of the first half scarf. Yeah, right before the end of stoppage time, we had four minutes of stoppage time. And in that fourth minute, I mean, look, the video replay so clearly shows this handball into the box. I don't mind that the yellow team misses a call, but to not go back and review it, it was so frustrating. Look, 
just, what, six, seven minutes earlier, we had Vela's shoulder down again in the box. That was one of the first times right before Latif went down on the play. And it's just one of those things where you're you're just wondering, okay, maybe you missed the call, but isn't that why MLS has VAR? Aren't they supposed to go back and look at everything? Was yeah. was indeed each time actually reviewed by the video review referee so that we actually had, oh, no, you know what? They're good. Play on. In that case, we're going to talk a little about a conspiracy theory maybe at the end of the podcast. Oh, I've got that one. But, oh, my goodness, such a frustrating way for the half to end. Not only are we down 2-1, but we clearly seem to not be getting any help from anybody in a yellow jersey as well. Really frustrated. I said in my notes, I really hope the refs go back and look at some things at halftime. But unfortunately, Philly, after the half, it just was not meant to be. 52nd minute and still getting zero calls from the yellow team is what I put in my notes. As we couldn't get a foul call, we couldn't get the simplest of things to start going our way. So that's when Brian Rodriguez comes off for Adama Diamande. I have to be honest with you. I really felt like maybe it should have been Diego Rossi getting subbed out in this game for Adama Diamande rather than Brian Rodriguez. He really, you and I have talked about it over and over and over again. If there's one thing that you can bank on from Brian Rodriguez, it's that when he has a one-on-one matchup or even sometimes a one-on-two matchup, he will still go at that matchup and put the pressure on the defense. And that's just not something we've seen lately from Diego Rossi. That being said, Dio comes in in that 53rd. Immediately, we get a great shot by Tristan Blackman just wide in the 54th. And you felt like, okay, maybe some things are going to start to shift a little bit. Dio, a more physical player. Tristan Blackman asserting himself a little bit. We'll see what happens. 57th minute, our light flashed before our eyes. Sounder's shot just went wide. And you thought to yourself, oh, God, is this really going to happen? Are we getting closer to scoring a goal? Are they getting closer to scoring a goal? One thing I want to talk about the Seattle Sounders players, and there were multiple instances where this occurred. They dished out the brutality for the duration of the game. But anytime we showed a little bit of aggression, they whined and cried on the pitch like little whiny prisses. And there was nothing more aggravating than seeing Neymar-esque rolls and groans and whining and crying. You can dish out the pain. You can dish out the shoulder tackles. You could dish out the brutality. But the minute we fight back, you cry? Disgusting. That's not the brand of football that anybody wants to see. And there were so many instances of this occurring. The end of the first half, four minutes. How many first halves end with plus four minutes? The end of the second half, which we'll get to, plus six. Ten minutes of whining. Seattle Sounder prissy moves. Neymar-esque rolls and tumbles. Yuck. Disgusting. Shameful. Yeah, you know, we probably played our worst minute of football in the 57th. You mentioned a great one, too, from Jordan Morris to Raul Ruiz Diaz just wide. And then just after that, Mark Anthony K with a giveaway oh. to Nico Lodiero. The chip, luckily, over the bar. Tyler Miller tumbling into the back of the Trying net there. Trying to be esque on that shot. But you know what? I, I saw one of the best plays that we ran against Carson in our last game was Jordan Harvey to Diego Rossi and a beautiful pass from Rossi into the box to the head of Adama Diamande. It was probably my favorite play from that entire game against Carson. 
And in the 58th minute, Philly, you're absolutely just right. Just missed it by a nose hair. That same exact play, but it's just out of the reach of Adama Diamande. It should have been 2-2. A great ball into the box, but they just couldn't find a way to connect. And, you know, that, that was where I felt like, God, we are just a little out of sync. That kind of a play against Carson, we hammered home into the back of the net on a beautiful header by Dio but something just a little off, something in the air that we just couldn't connect. And unfortunately, in the 64th minute, it's that same crew again. Nico Lodero for Raul Ruiz Diaz. And all of a sudden, with 25 minutes and change left, Philly, we're down 3-1, and you really felt the trepidation. You really felt a little bit of the air come out of Bank of California Stadium Nobody wanted this season to go down this way, but unfortunately, all of our worst dreams coming true in the 64th minute, and it was just frustration from there on out, Philly. Just frustration. In the 69th giggity minute, another handball missed. At that point, I just threw my hands up in the air and said, you know what? I forgot. CenturyLink Field holds 65,000 people for an MLS Cup final what was I thinking? Bank of California Stadium only holds 22-23. So well, let's talk about that conspiracy theory really quickly. With so many blown calls, I don't want to say that referees are bought or this is fixed or any of that story, but with so many blatant missed calls. I just with, wonder, that's all. I yeah, same here. With no desire to go to VAR, you're sitting there and you're wondering, the way the season's going to turn out, Bank of California Stadium holds 22,000, 23,000 seats. CenturyLink holds the number that you had just mentioned. Yeah. Mercedes-Benz Stadium outsold the Super Bowl in terms of seats at 74,000. The MLS would lose money if the final was at Little Bank of California Stadium. Maybe they would have had the wherewithal and said, you know what, if LAFC wins, we're doing this in the Rose Bowl. Or we do this right next door in the Coliseum. Would that maybe have changed the outcome of the referee's decision? I don't know. I don't want to play conspiracy theorist here. But at the same time, a lot of questionable calls that got missed, didn't get called, and repeatedly didn't get called. You miss one, fine. Shame on the ref. You miss the second one, shame on the ref even more. Shame on us, shame on the ref. I screwed that one up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but still, like, how do you go through an entire game making the same freaking mistake on multiple occasions? How do you miss so many brutal tackles? How do you miss so many handballs? Yeah. How do you yeah. not call a legit game? My Siamese cat who's sleeping comfortably behind me, you've heard his name, Schmitty McMittens, would have called a much better, much more fair game than these boneheaded referees from pro. Seriously, we've complained about them all season long and as much as we don't want to leave any game in the hands of the officiating it really was abysmal shame on you refs you sucked yeah it was really rough out there to watch the yellow team play against us as well as the team in rave green look the bottom line is i wrote in my notes in the 72nd minute after by the way another clear handball was missed by the referees i wrote in my notes in the 72nd minute that carlos just looked tired he was dispossessed relatively easily by Jordan Morris there in the 72nd minute and look we felt a little bit of the air come out when our engine Latif Blessing pulled up and unfortunately came out right before halftime 
And in the 72nd minute, when I saw Carlos just physically drained out there, this is a guy who all he's done all season is put this team on his back offensively. He's broken almost every record you could out there. He has set the bar so much higher. He has been the catalyst. He has been the talisman that has driven our team forward all season. I genuinely felt like in the 72nd minute, Carlos might have just hit the wall. And who can blame him? What an incredible season for Carlos. But something that I can blame is our fans' conduct Oh my God! in the 73rd minute. I, I'm going to read my exact note. I'm going to read my exact note from what I wrote in the 73rd minute. You guys are trash that threw stuff onto the field at the ref. A beer can from Section 215, from the top of Section 215, was thrown so far out, but unfortunately, it didn't make it onto the pitch and drilled one of our fans who was wearing a white sweater in the front row in the back of the head. A full, tall can of beer we watched and said, oh my God, as it drilled one of our fans in the back of the head. You can be pissed at the referees. You can want to punch things, throw things, scream, do anything you can. But what you can't do is take the laws of the game into your own hands. What if the referees would have stopped the game and walked off the pitch for an unsafe situation? We saw, what, 15, 20 beer cans by the end of the match being thrown on the field? Why is it? That whenever our team goes down, it happened against Real Salt Lake in last year's playoffs, and it happened here the first time our backs were really and truly against the wall in these playoffs. Why is it that some of our fans, a very small but unfortunately very visible population of our fans in those sections, 115, 116, 117, and up at the top in the 200s, why is it that when we need your support the most, you make us look the worst. I give this analogy all the time. If any of you have ever been to a public pool, you could be having the time of your life. But as soon as someone, just one person, poops into that pool, unfortunately, everybody has to get out of the water. And I was embarrassed today to have to get out of the water because of the way that our fans reacted in the 73rd minute because the referee finally came close enough over to your sideline that you felt a little less cowardly and were able to throw a beer. Congratulations. You made LAFC in our biggest moment look as bad as we have looked in the history of our club. And it didn't just stand in the 73rd minute. It happened towards the end of the game, in particular when the Sounders went to go address their fans. We saw multiple beer cans getting hauled over at the Sounders. And one thing, I don't know if you caught this, one beer can got thrown at one of the Sounders players, and he happened to like karate kick that beer yeah. up in the air. That was and Kevin you know Lurdan, I think, yeah. Yeah, we weren't angry with the Seattle supporters that were around us. We we support our club through thick and through thin, and we travel. I was more upset and heartbroken at our fans, not... We didn't see any of this in the North End whatsoever because we know exactly what would have happened to anybody throwing a beer from the North End. You would have gotten decapitated. But the fact that there were fans out there who felt the need to take, the, like you said, the laws in their own hands and throw beers and throw cups at the referee, 
Yeah, we are as angry as you are, but there's absolutely no excuse to do what you do. And if you really think that that passion is what the club wants, think again. If you think that's the type of listeners that we want to have on Defenders of the Bank, think again. There are weeds in every bed of flowers, and there were far too many weeds that made themselves prevalent during this matchup. And it's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting and shameful. Scarf said it best. When we needed you, you failed us. You ugly, disgusting fans who threw stuff at the players and at the refs. Shame on you. I really hope to God that somebody caught you on camera and that you never be allowed to come back to Bank of California Stadium because that's not passion. That's called being trashy. And if you don't like that, feel free to DM us. Yeah, you know, our, our the game ended just after a great 1v1 save by Tyler Miller on Nuhu who came in really almost untouched. It was a great play there by Tyler Miller and then Nuhu picking up a yellow right after for a trip. Uh, unfortunately, we just couldn't manufacture any more offense. And I want to be clear about something in case there's any ambiguity in what I have to say and about how I feel about this game. The refs, while they were awful, as bad as I have ever seen in my limited time watching professional football, while they were the worst, while I feel like something might have been up and you can't miss that many handballs and that many fouls, something was up. And while I feel like Seattle got away with a lot in terms of being physical, at the end of the day, the other thing that I think, Philly, is that the team in Rave Green also outplayed us. Yep, we definitely got outplayed. Sometimes you are the windshield and sometimes you are the the bug. bug. (laughs) And honestly, I felt for at least the entire second half that we were the bug. We were the team that unfortunately got outplayed on their own pitch. We saw the entire Sounders organization come together for a huddle at the very start of this game. And you could tell that they came in with a passion And with a fervor, just like we came in just five days earlier, they had nothing to lose. They were the underdog. Vegas had them at well over plus 400. Not that I bet on sports ever. (laughs) But they played with reckless abandon. We came out, we took the lead, and then it was counterpunch after counterpunch after counterpunch. And unfortunately, just like the Golden State Warriors who went 73-9, and the best regular season in the history of the NBA. Just like, I'm going to really upset some people right now, my New England Patriots that went 16-0. and Best regular season in the history of football. Unfortunately, we are going to make that list of some of the greatest teams in the history of their sport never to bring home a title in that season. But that would be a short-sighted view Now, granted, completely valid right now. We're all hurting. We're all upset. We're all down. I felt like I got kicked in the stomach, rolled over by a bus, and I had everything that I was looking forward to taken from me. And I'm sure all of you feel that way. Imagine the players who put on the black and gold, how they feel. But we are in season two. We're in season two. We are spoiled right now in the black and gold. We finished third in the West last year, first in the West this year. 57 points last year. We almost flipped those numbers around at 72. The trajectory of this club, 
the play of this club, the heartbeat of this club is so much more alive and well than even on that very first day five years ago today as you are listening to this October 30th, we have turned an absolute beast of an idea into an absolute beast of a football club and it means the world to me to be a part of it and that's why this loss hurts so, so much right now. You're right. We are spoiled because we've been part of a club that's had massive success for the last two seasons. But again, in our pain, we find our faith. It became really cool and really trendy to come to Bank of California Stadium. Why? Because LA had a winning team as far as MLS is concerned. And that's fine. But as the New England Patriots, as the New York Yankees of some time ago, (laughs) winning all the time, Does it really mean that much to any fan at the end of the day, any supporter at the end of the day, if it's a consistent thing and you're expected to win all the time? I don't think it means all that much going forward. That win against the Galaxy meant so much to us because of the simple fact that we had never beaten them. We came into this matchup and we lost to a team that's never beaten us. They played the same way we played last game. And you know what? They did deserve it. As bad as the refs were, as we could argue the conspiracy theories that Scarf and I alluded to earlier in the episode. But at the same time, fact of the matter is, Rui Diaz, Nicholas Ladero, we got beat. And Jordan Morris, let's throw his name in there. And Stefan Fry, because he made some pretty good saves. We got beat by a good Sounders team. And that's that. And can we hang our heads in shame and say the season was a loss? Absolutely not. We had a lot of success. We had a lot of joy. The only thing that really guts me is that it's over. The thing that guts me is that there are no more games to be played at the bank for the rest of the season. The thing that guts me is there are many of you out there, although we are friends and although we have raised glasses together, probably not going to see each other for a couple of months. And that's really, really what bothers me. Bank of California Stadium, for the people that have been there for the beginning, for the people that go to, uh, to Christmas Tree Lane, to the people that have been with the club since day one, it's a beautiful thing to run into each and every single one of you every time that we play a game at the bank. And I think that's the part that's really going to hurt me the most is that there aren't going to be tailgates for a little while. There aren't going to be these, these meetups for a while. There aren't going to be games for a while. And I believe that's truly why I love this club is because of the relationships that have been formed over the course of the past several years. I love each and every one of you out there that have said hi to us or raised a glass with us. It really means the world to me to see each and every one of you. It means the world to Scarf to see each and every one of you. And as much as I would have loved to see an MLS Cup trophy, as much as I would have loved to see the final game at the bank, I really would have loved a more have the opportunity to see all of you again. Yeah, look, we talked about it at the beginning of the season where it felt like the first day of school all over again, where we get to see our friends and reconnect after a summer of growth or a summer of checking out girls at the beach or hanging with your friends at sleepaway camp or whatever it might be. We all walk back into our cathedral, our place where we love to scream and support the black and gold Bank of California Stadium. And on that first game, we were finally back at Bank of California Stadium. We reunited with a lot of our old friends and made a lot more new ones throughout the course of the season. And the fact that we know that it's going to be a couple of months before, at least at Bank of California Stadium, 
we get to do this all over again. That is the sad part. But what makes it so incredible is all of the relationships that we have made. And I would just like to take a couple of seconds here on episode 67 here of Defenders of the Bank to say a big thank you to everybody who makes that engine purr the way it does every single time we are at Bank of California Stadium or we are at a meet and greet or we are at another event that's going on. The passion that's given every single day by the members who work for this club. And we have had the distinct pleasure of making friends and hanging out with everybody from Tom Penn and Larry and everybody associated with the very top of this club to some of the security guards and game day personnel that make pennies on the thousands of dollars to what those in the higher up spots make at LAFC. And I have to tell you, the people are what make this so special. Everybody at the club, from Rich and Ben and Alex and and Pat Pat and everyone who we've come to know in the front offices, from all of the incredibly powerful women that are through this club heart and soul. Oh my goodness, I feel like we are so lucky at this club to be able to go shoulder to shoulder, shout out to our friends over at Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, with so many incredibly talented, successful, passionate, driven people. Everybody in game day operations. Paul, the security guard who runs Bank of California Stadium like nobody else. Al, who makes everything go from 90 minutes before to almost 90 minutes after. To everybody out there. Franco, who takes care of us in Founders. To our two wonderful young ladies at the cashier stand, who I swear to God, one day, I'm going to find a way to repay you for all of your kindnesses. To everybody behind the bar, obviously we love Chuck so much, but it's so much more of a family back there with Chuck. To everybody behind the Carvery station, I love you guys so much because, you know what, you're why I haven't lost any weight at all this season. Thank you. (laughs) Literally, Everybody out there from the minute we walk in until the minute we leave that works for this team, I couldn't say thank you enough. And the only group of people that rival you that work for the team are the heartbeat, the lifeblood, and the soul. Everybody, not just in the North End or in the 3252, but everybody who we've met in the supporters groups. Everybody who we've met on Christmas Tree Lane, the random family that will come up and say, hey, really enjoyed your last podcast. Thank you guys for what you do. The girl who will walk by that's wearing our pin on her hat or the person who we meet from Seattle like we did today or Portland in Portland who treat us with respect. We just want to pay those kindnesses back onto you. And I will say this in our second season not only of LAFC, but and also of Defenders of the Bank. This has been the time of our lives to be able to do this week in and week out. We can't wait to see what our off-season holds for all of you, but more than that, we can't wait to get back and do it again for Season 3. 
And I just wanted to give one more quick shout out to two people that we knew that are no longer with us that are still part of the Black and Gold family. I want to give a shout out to Jonathan who worked over at LAFC HQ. Yes. He unfortunately lost his life tragically earlier in the season. Don't think that we forgot about you, friend. You, your heart and soul is still something that we very much appreciate at the bank. And of course, to our friend, one of the earlier security guards that we met earlier last season, Jerry, you're, you're, you're with us. We, oh, we always... Every time I walked up to Founders, I, I would still see you, and I still do. And I'm, I'm, you were with us one way or another. Just wanted to give a shout-out to the both of you. Yeah, it's the relationships that matter the most. Good times and in bad, we stand with our club. And if you don't feel that way, if this bad situation, if this loss to Seattle makes you contemplate your support for LAFC, then my advice to you is take a freaking hike, pal. We don't want your kind in our club. We you know, only I, want people that are passionate <laughs> about this club, through good and through bad. That is truly what a supporter of LAFC is to me. Look, Bob Bradley put it best. Get lost. There you go. And you know what, man? Oh, God, he came back to the bank. When I saw Sebi Salazar on that podium with the Seattle Sounders, man, if anybody should have thrown a beer, it should have been thrown at that dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, Bob giving one of the great answers in the history of interviewing. Sebi Salazar has always been out for Carlos Vela, man. You know what? Bob knew that. He knew that Sebi was attacking Bob. And for those who don't know the backstory, Sebi's got his own podcast. Not necessarily happy with the way Vela was with El Tree and all that other stuff. He was taking little pot shots at Carlos Vela. And what I love about Bob is he's not going to deal with that BS. He's going to represent and he's going to smack that dude upside his head verbally. And what was even better than him saying get lost was the two times he mean mugged Sebi Salazar. That's really what I enjoyed. Forget the get lost comment. That was the icing on the cake. But the two mean mugs, that really solidified how angry Bob was at that little pipsqueak. That was very Stone Cold Steve Austin. I know somebody on on the group chat made a meme or a video with him walking away to the Stone Cold music. Nothing could have been more appropriate than that. Look, again, everybody who's out there listening to Defenders of the Bank, we so appreciate your support. We are going to have a couple of incredible things going on in the offseason. First and foremost, something we do want to take a quick second to announce today. We are going to be working with Sticks and the Think Watts Foundation. We have produced a pin. If you are not familiar with the incredible logo that Sticks and the Think Watts Foundation have created, it is a white and black watts tower you've no doubt seen sticks wearing it on his hat on his sleeve on his shirt on his sweats whatever it is he is always representing the incredible community of watts and the think watts foundation that he created well we created here at defenders of the bank a black and gold version of that watts tower logo with the blessing of sticks and our entire off season is going to be dedicated to raising money for the Think Watts Foundation, led, of course, by Sticks, a club legend. And we can't wait to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to have Sticks on the pod during the off season, so you can actually hear it straight from the man himself's mouth. We are going to begin in November selling those pins. They'll be ten dollars and five dollars from every single pin that we sell, and we have plenty of them to sell. We'll go directly to the Think Watts Foundation. We are also planning at Free Play Philly. We're going to hopefully have a little party right around December 5th to celebrate our one-year podcast anniversary. So a little bit more 
on details of that to come. So we've got some fun stuff planned in the off season. We are absolutely still going to be coming at you several times a month, making sure that the well-oiled machine, sort of, of uh, Defenders well, of the Bank, the podcast, like keeps on rolling. Thank you guys again for all your support. Philly, anything you'd like to say before we close this out? Yeah, not only are we going to do what Scarf just mentioned, but as far as next season is concerned, there's going to be a couple of surprises up our sleeve. Perhaps we're going to have some YouTube situations. It's not surprises if you tell them. Well, I said perhaps. I didn't say it was happening. Yeah, it's going to We're going to be working on a website. We already have one, and it's not the greatest, no, so we're going to make that better. Yes, we are. Uh, and there's going to be other things. Scarf said it. We're not going to disappear into the wilderness. We're going to have interviews with several people within the LAFC community. We're definitely going to take a little bit of a break and act as spectators in the world of sport for a little while. I mean, I can't believe in like 10 months, you and I have managed to conjure up 67 episodes of a podcast. We aren't that far away from hitting a centennial, but it's been a beautiful season. It's been a beautiful year. It's been a beautiful podcast and a beautiful run. And quite honestly, if it wasn't for you people out there listening and giving us the feedback that you have been, I don't know if Scarf and I would have kept up at this torn pace. It's definitely led to a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of rough days at work. But you know what? We absolutely love it. We love recording. We love injecting yep. our enthusiasm into these microphones and into your eardrums. We love this club. We love the supporters. We love our pod and we love what we do. And we hope that the voices and the passion that we have, that you can feel it. Again, we're the glass half full perspective. I would rather be happy than upset any day of the week. And again, we're not going to tell you how to feel. We're gutted. We're probably going to have a drink or two after this recording is done just to kind of wallow into what happened. But love your club. Support your club. Through good and through bad, this is your team till death do us part. This is our club, ladies and gentlemen. We love LAFC and we know you do too. And that's really all I have to say for our final episode of Defenders of the Bank while LAFC takes the pitch. Yeah, you know, it's with LAFC taking the pitch. It's been it's been a season, everybody. So again, thank you for all your support. And you know how we like to end our podcast. Bye bye. bye. bye.